Well, it's summertime, and summer is often a time of summer blockbusters in the movie theaters. Um, going back to some near years ago, uh, here's one: Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I don't know how many of that, how many of you remember that? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, the climax of the film, at the risk of being a spoiler, so here, you know if you don't tune out if you don't want the spoiler. But here you go: at the climax of the film. The two rival treasure hunters come up into this cave and they have finally uh, come to the, the place where they have found the object of their quest, which is the Holy Grail. And there is this mysterious knight there who has been on guard for some number of centuries. And he tells them, he tells the two rivals, Indiana Jones and this other guy, you must choose. You must choose. Well, the other guy, the other guy has the upper hand at this moment, so he takes it upon himself to take the initiative and to choose. And he looks at this table, these tables, just filled with various kinds of cups and chalices laid out before him of all different configurations. And he, his eyes light on one. It's this ornate, bejeweled goblet. And he says, ah, the cup of a king. And he takes it. And he dips into the water and he drinks. And here's your spoiler. He dies what I would call an ugly death. At which point the knight then says, so insightfully, he chose poorly. <laughs> All right, enough of Hollywood. The real Jesus. The real Jesus extends a call to us to choose. And we do need to choose wisely. All kidding aside, we need to choose wisely. If you're with, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're pressing on slowly but surely, methodically through this series in the Gospel of Matthew, exploring this together. Uh, we are breaking new ground uh, here into Matthew 13. This is one of those major teaching sections uh, as Matthew has uh, uh, structured his Gospel for us. There are narrative sections and teaching sections, and this is one of those teaching sections. Uh, we saw one of those earlier in chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's another one in, in chapter 13, a collection of parables. Um, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 23. By the way, I don't hear pages rustling now. Maybe you've given up, some of you. It's the first book, Matthew. is the first of the uh, books of the New Testament, if you're trying to, to find that. The first of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Reading verses 1 through 23. Okay. Now, we're only really honing in this morning on... Well, let me just back up. So there's three sections to this reading. Okay, the first section, verses 1 through 9, is the parable itself. Then verses 10 through 17 is sort of Jesus taking a step back and explaining some things having to do with parables in general. And then you pick up in verses 18 through 23, and he gives us an explanation of the parable. Okay, Now, for this morning, we're going to look at the parable and Jesus' explanation of the parable. I'm going to read that middle section, verses 10 through 17, and the plan is to come back to that, the middle section, next week. Okay, But really just honing in on the parable itself, uh, the parable of the soils, uh, this morning, verses 1 through 
9, and then picking up in verses uh, 18 to 23. So here we go. We're going to read all of this, though. Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. Hear now the word of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. And clearly you had some intention and purposefulness behind this story. Um, your desire to teach us something. Oh, that we would indeed hear. Oh, that you would put us there on the shoreline that day as you, because of the, the press of the crowds, had to move out just a little bit out into the water in that boat. Their teaching to that assembly Oh, would you put us there as among the assembled ones in the crowd and give us ears to hear. You're speaking. The significance of what you were saying is as true today as it was then. 
And we need to hear. We need to know. We need to understand. We need to grapple with these things in a deep, transformative way. And we confess here from the outset that we can't do it. We just can't. Not without your help. So we ask that you would indeed meet us. Meet us as you have found us in this place, in this hour. In your name we pray. Amen. The context, I'm just going to dive right in. The context of this parable is absolutely vital. Matthew says that Jesus speaks this that same day, right? Verse 1, it says from the start, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside. You see, well, what is that signifying? That same day. Matthew is, is time stamping this in the, in the midst of, of, a, of a larger context of, of a flow of events. And if you go back, don't do it now. But if you go back and read chapters 11 through 12, what you see, and we've been talking about this the last several weeks, is this rising tide of opposition to Jesus. That's the context. That's the context of the preaching, the teaching, the, ex the explanation of these parables that Jesus relays in chapter 13, and in particular, this one. I think this is this, there's a burning question in the minds and hearts of Jesus' disciples there. Uh, that day on the, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. How could it be that the king has come, this long-awaited Messiah king, how could it be that he in fact has come, how could it be that he has come ushering in this, this kingdom of his that he's been explaining and preaching, expounding on you know, already uh, quite a bit up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, how could it be that the king has come and his own people reject him. How can it be that there's such a mixed response, at best, a mixed response to his words and his works, his miracles and his message? How can it be that there's this mixed response to the king and the coming of the kingdom? How can that be? You see, that's a pressing question. And it demands an answer, if in fact he is the king, and if in fact the kingdom has come, if in fact there's any truth to this at all. It demands, it's a question, a burning, pressing question that demands an answer. And it's a burning question that's pressing upon us that demands an answer today, right? How can it be that Jesus has come, offering to us still today, full and free salvation, Right? And the response to that is oftentimes ambivalence and indifference or outright hostility. How can it be if, in fact, he is who he is? Right? You see? How can it be that the question demands to be asked and answered then and now? And the answer to that question has a lot to do with our misunderstanding of who he is. The answer to that question has a lot to do with our mislaid expectations. Jesus makes it very clear that he comes not, uh, as, uh, not, not to wage war, but to sow seed. Now, that being the case, that makes a vast difference in our expectations. He does not come to wage war, but to sow seed. He does not come as a warrior, but as a farmer. And it's so abundantly clear in this parable. That's, that's what he's un unpacking, unfolding for us in this parable. Now, parables, by the way, in case you don't know, 
are, are stories. Okay, they're they're fictional stories. It was a, it was an art form, a literature form, a teaching means that was very uh, common in Jesus' day. He's fitting right in line with the rabbinical practice of his time. Okay, uh, it, it's a, it's something of a metaphor meant to point towards something larger, greater, deeper, more significant than even you know at surface level. And, and we have this one here in front of us, and the one we're looking at here today, the parable of the soils. And Jesus' point in this is pretty clear. He's, he's saying he spreads, he has the sower, he spreads the gospel message as a sower widely into all kinds of soils. He is the sower spreading the gospel message widely into all kinds of soils. What then will the response be? Our response needs to be the right one, that of embracing that gospel message. He comes as a sower, not a warrior. He comes not to wage war, but to sow seed. He comes as a sower, sowing, spreading this gospel message into a wide variety of seeds, many kinds of, uh, of soils, rather, sorry. We then need to respond to that gospel message in the right way. Now, there's four soils. It's very, very plain. You saw that when I read that a moment ago. Four soils here in the story. The first three have something in common. In some respects, they're identical, as different as they all are. All three are ultimately unfruitful, the first three. And that's actually the critical demarcation line between them, the first three and the fourth. The first three, despite all the variations, despite all the differences, are ultimately unfruitful, but not the fourth. The fourth is in a class by itself. We're going to talk about that as we go. Let's look at these progressively, one at a time, each of these soils. I'm going to be tacking back and forth between Jesus' telling of the story and his explanation of the story. So going back and forth between, as I explained earlier, part one and part three of this larger reading. So along the path, that's the first one, verses three and four. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And this seems a little odd to us. If you, you think about what sort of farming practices Jesus is describing here, because this is not what we're accustomed to. This is not the way we do it as Westerners, certainly in, in modern times. We are accustomed to a, a, a plow-then-sow method, right? You churn up the soil first. That's the way we do it. We churn up the soil first, then you sow the seeds in the churned up soil. That's not the way it worked in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was a sow-then-plow approach. You throw the seed out, then you plow. Okay? And we can argue about the merits of all that. That's not the point. That, that, that's the rabbit trail. And I don't want to get into that at all. It, it was a broadcasting method. You know, the, the farmer would go out. He's got a bag of seeds slung over his shoulder. Right here, he's reaching in, and as he's walking through the fields, he's spreading the seed. He's just spreading the seed, spreading the seed. So, of course, it's hardly unusual at all that as he's walking up and down these paths, some of that seed is going to end up on the path. And birds being birds, birds being scavengers, are going to see that seed come down and take it away. That's normal. Jesus' hearers are locked on to this. The significance, though, of this, what he intends for us to understand, you see this in verses 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the path stands for the hardened heart. 
The individual who, in hearing the gospel message, refuses from the start to even consider it, to even believe. The birds, as Jesus said, stand for Satan's work. Satan's work to deceive, to distract. And we must be clear on this point. That work is every bit as active and real today as it was then. Okay? To which I want to say here this morning, if, if anyone here this morning, I'm, I just must speak very honestly, very plainly to you, if you're hearing this, like Luke said earlier, you know, some of us don't want to be here, or something, something like that, right? Not crazy about being here. Maybe that's you. Your heart is, you know this, you would acknowledge that my heart is somewhat hardened towards this. You don't believe this. I would just want to say why. And your answer is probably, well, I decided to. And my response to you is, what's behind your decision? Would you be willing to consider something bigger than you that's actually behind your refusal to believe? Perhaps even an explanation such as Jesus is describing here. That's worth considering. What's behind your decision? Let's push on through the story. Uh, the second type of soil. You see this in verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Okay, so in, in, the, uh, in the Galilean area where the story is being told, where his listeners are from, uh, there is common to find out in the, in, in the landscape lots of areas of shallow soil laying upon layers of rock underneath, all right? And what happens is the, the, those rocks over the course of the summer and early fall absorb the heat of the sun. When winter comes, they release that heat up into that shallow layer of soil where those seeds are lying and those seeds, those plants spring up because of that initial wave of, of warmth. The problem is they don't have much of a root system. They can't, right? Because it's shallow soil and right below that there are rocks. So they spring up prematurely. Spring sun and summer sun comes. They dry up and die. Any farmer in the Galilean community would readily grasp what Jesus is saying here, the dynamics, the, the horticultural dynamics that are going on here. The significance of this, Jesus unpacks this for us, skipping down to verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, that he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. All right, the rocky ground stands for a, a superficial belief, a superficial faith that only goes, I mean, literally, but so deep. The quick growth is an initial expression of joy that, that, that actually, in the end, proves to be as superficial and shallow as the soil itself. The, 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 the heat is persecution and trouble you experience because of that initial profession, because of that initial belief, if you will, not held really to the heart very deeply, and that withering is a falling away. That's the dynamics here in, in play. 
Okay, in terms of what do we do with this? How do we wrestle with this? Where, where, where do we go with this? I would just say this if, if to all of us, but in particular, if you're here this morning as a young believer, you need to know that hard times will come. It's not a matter of if, it's when and how. You understand? Hard times, that heat, will come. The question is, what will you do now that your soil will be deeper to be able to withstand that withering heat? You understand? Now is the time. Now is the time to cultivate a deeper soil. See, unlike the soil out there, the soil of your heart can change. That's the only variation with this parable. Now is the time to be cultivating deeper soil by, yes, I'm going to say something very plain, very simple, Christianity 101, by spending regular, yes, daily time in the Word of God, regular, yes, daily time in prayer, and regular committed time to spend with the fellowship of believers around you. These are God's ordained means through, by which, through which he uses that our, the soil would be deeper. That the soil would be deeper. May ours be deeper. May the roots go deeper. And now is the time. Before the time of the heat comes, now is the time to cultivate that deeper soil. Third soil, pushing on through this story. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. All right. There's an extent to which these weeds, these thorns, in a way allow for growth for the intended plants, the intended seed, the, the wheat, the, the grain, whatever it may, may be. There's a sense in which they do allow for a limited amount of growth, but the problem is, is that they rob the strength of the plant. They rob from the strength. They rob from... Uh, the nutrients and the sunlight, they take things over. Weeds do, thorns do, allowing for but a limited amount of growth, but in the end, robbing the strength of the plant that's supposed to be, that the sower had put there, intended to, to flourish to begin with. The significance of this, the significance of this, this, if you will, a competition between the weed, the thorn, and the wheat, the plant, you see this in verse 22. Jesus speaks to this. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Uh, our, our worries, um, the worries of this life, our, our fretting, our concerns, uh, that which we uh, feel like we've, we've got to have and and, and, and don't have the allurements of riches and wealth and uh, creature comforts and the desire for things that are not ours and out of our reach. Jesus is saying there's a competition there going on. And that will ultimately have a choking effect upon any hope of any fruitfulness whatsoever. A choking effect as our affections are governed by the wrong thing as our attention is drawn to the wrong thing, and we ultimately prove ourselves to be unfruitful, like a little plant choked out in the competition for the nutrients and the sunlight. The competition is real. 
the competition here that Jesus is speaking of is absolutely real. And in the, in the, in the, 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 the place where the battle is played out is in the soil of our hearts. The cares of the world that he speaks of here. Um, and we think we need something that God isn't giving. And our fretting will also inevitably lead to faithlessness. Choking. Choking. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. Look, wealth. Wealth. Lies. That's why he's, the deceitfulness, right? It's making promises it can't deliver. It lies and leaves. The deceitfulness of riches which I think all of this just demands some questions that we ask of ourselves here at this point. What would it look like to weed the garden? Jesus is warning us here of the choking effect of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Luke, in his version of this, this uh, story, speaks of the desire for other things. What would it look like for us to weed the garden? It's a question worth thinking through. Moving on to the fourth soil, lastly. And here's that demarcation line. Thus far, it's nothing but fruitlessness. Um, picking up verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Skipping over to verse 23. As for, the one, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and then another 30. Okay, so a little background here. Um, talking about yields and this fold and that fold and that sort of thing and, and what, how do we think about that and what sort of bearing should we have. Look, just in the, in the modern agriculture, okay, modern agriculture, a 40 to 60 fold yield is pretty good. In modern times, right, with all of our equipment and our fertilizer and the research and the techniques and all that stuff, right, Today, a 40 to 60 fold yield is a pretty good yield. In those times, especially in Galilean soil, a 5, 10, or 15 fold yield would have been normal, expected, and pretty good. Alright. Ancient times, that culture, that place, 5, 10, 15. Modern times, at best, 40 to 60. Jesus says 40, 60, 100. Just blowing things off the roof here. This is way beyond what, what, what a farmer of the time is used to, accustomed to, or expecting. So what is he talking about here? He's not talking about a natural yield, but a supernatural yield. There's something else entirely in, in play here. He's speaking here of a fruitful soil, of fruitful disciples. And again, this is that line of demarcation and utter contrast that he's making to the, the first three, where he is speaking of one who hears, who receives, who embraces, who perseveres and produces good fruit. Now, what sort of fruit would that be? Well, if you turn back with me just a few chapters to Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and in a passage that we refer to oftentimes as the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For there, yours is the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now skipping down just a few verses to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It goes on from there. Look, Jesus is speaking here of fruitfulness, not of vine and bushel, but of character and influence that comes about supernaturally. That comes about supernaturally. Now, how would we do with this? How do we respond to this? Well, think with me. We should start with just wonder of the ability of the sower. Wonder, amazement, adoration, worship. Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the creator of all things. The Lord of all things. Far beyond any other farmer's skill set. Doesn't stop at simply sowing seed. He brings the growth. No farmer can take credit for that. Not unless he's delusional. But this farmer, this farmer sows and brings forth the harvest from that same heart, that same soil. So, my goodness, and think with me. If any of us here this morning can see a thing, if any of us here this morning can hear a thing, understands any of this, to God be praise. To God be the glory. This should humble us. There's two things here. There's two calls. A call to humility and then paradoxically a call to hear. Lord willing, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But there's a call to humility here and a call to to hear Jesus, again, I said this earlier, Jesus, like a sower, spreads this seed of the gospel widely into all kinds of, of soil. May we hear him rightly. Now, going back to the where we started with, the disciples, right, the pressing question on their minds, it's the unspoken question, but it's the one Jesus is answering, how can this be? How can it be? How can it be? This, you know, this variation of responses. Why isn't it just this one? Why isn't everyone just saying, Alleluia, the Messiah has come and bowing. And why, why, why the resistance? Why the opposition? Why the ambivalence? Why the indifference? Why? How can this be? Just his answer is a question. And then he shifts it. As he is prone to do. <laughs> he shifts the question forcing us to begin thinking through another question, and that is, not how can it be, but what soil are we? Jesus as the master storyteller. This is what these parables do. They're so sneaky. It's stealth technology in, in a narrative form. The, these stories, all of them, have a way of just getting right under the radar, of luring us in, capturing our imagination, filling us with wonder and appreciation, and all of a sudden, before we know what's happened, we're hooked. 
and forced to reckon with a question that we weren't even prepared initially to begin thinking about. We come to it with the question, how can this be? And before we're done, a few verses later, we're forced to ask ourselves, what soil are we? What soil are we? You see, see, ultimately, it only matters to a farmer if the soil is fruitful. That's actually all that matters. I mean, there, yes, there are, you know, literally there are, you know, look at the story, yes, four seeds, four, excuse me, one seed, four soils. But ultimately to the farmer, the only thing that matters is whether or not that soil is going to bear fruit, right? I mean, there's, there's a crop at risk here. He's put a lot into this. He's invested a lot of himself in this, right? I mean, he's got to feed his family, his livelihoods on the line here, the larger community. Is, is waiting on the fruitfulness of, of this yield. The next crop, frankly, and, and you can understand the cycles here, the next crop is depending on the yield of this coming crop. And don't hear me saying by, you know, unrolling that, that Jesus is over here on the sideline with, you know, sweat on his upper lip, you know, tapping his foot, arms crossed, worrying, wondering, how are you going to respond? That's not it at all. My point is simply to stress the fact that there's only one thing that ultimately matters here. There are only, ultimately, two types of soil, two types of responses, two types of bearing, unfruitful or fruitful. Now, that may offend you, and I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Talk to your mother. Jesus isn't playing games. Verse 9, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. That's a Semitic way of pressing the point. Pressing the point. Oh, oh, would we hear. Oh, would we hear. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you. Uh, at, at, at the start, we thank you for the explanation. We, we do need that. We, we do need to understand the variation of the responses and, and how can it be? How can it be that, that some respond in a hardened way or a superficial way or in a distracted way? We need to understand that. And so we thank you for that. But we thank you also for the challenge. Not just for the explanation, for, but for the challenge. In love, you challenge you challenge all of us here this morning to examine ourselves, to ask ourselves this question. What type of soil are we? And we come with not just a need to examine, but Lord, we come also with a need to petition. Make us good soil. We thank you that in your grace, we are not stuck like that dirt outside these windows. Stuck just to be like it is. By your touch... You can change the soil. You can change the heart. You can make us, whatever our level of receptivity may be this morning, you can make us very receptive to this seed. Oh, we ask that you would do that. In your wisdom, in your mercy, give us ears, we pray. In your name, we pray. Amen. Let me ask my fellow elders.